You're listening to Work Human Radio. And here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to another edition of Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force. My name is Mike Wood. I am your host. And I got a question for you today. Are you an HR hacker? Are you? Well, you could be. We talked to Work Human speaker Gary Hamill all about the future of work in 2019 and beyond. We're talking AI, robots, futuristic societies with or without zombies. It's pretty interesting. So strap in and get ready for the third part of our interview with Work Human 2019 speaker Gary Hamill, and we hope to see you there. Based on what your research says and your clients, what are your predictions for the workplace for next year and even beyond? I think AI is going to have significant implications for work, but I also believe it is the single most overhyped technology in history. Uh, you know, thanks largely to the fact that today um, anxiety, uh, you know, uh, uh, spreads at lightning pace thanks to uh, social media and, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, and, and I, I couldn't and, agree and more. Social media. <laughs> That's, that's based on, you know, that's based on, on, on often scaremongering. But, 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 but the evidence suggests, and I mean, this is not just my opinion. This is spending a lot of time trying to understand exactly where we are with unsupervised machine learning. Uh, you know, what's the actual rate of progress that you see in things like autonomous driving uh, that you see in robots. Uh, and I just think there's there's a long way to go. You know, it's it's telling that that Elon Musk at Tesla has said that one of their biggest mistakes was to believe that r- robots uh, could, in every case, outperform humans. And in, in many places they can't. And so they've had to, uh, you know, move move away from that. But um, you know, uh, McKinsey did an interesting piece of research where they 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 divided human capability down into I think it was 18 different uh, kind of categories. And in some of those, like pattern recognition, you know, machines are, are going to be ahead of us or already ahead of us. But in many, in terms of social interactions, in terms of novel problem solving, uh, 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 you know, we, we are going to maintain a lead for a long time. So my basic sense has been that, that the risk that the risk that the risk posed by AI and robots to employment is directly proportional to the degree we treat human beings as robots. Because in a world where we have robots, you know, to do the real work, we do not need human robots anymore. But but what I've also learned is that in almost any industry where you give people the chance to develop and use their creative gifts, which is the core of humanocracy, you find human beings able to do mis- things that machines will never be able to do. You know, one of one of the companies that I admire hugely is the U.S. steelmaker Nucor. Uh, again, they have uh, very few uh, management layers. Um, the company is built around small teams uh, of, of operators, of frontline operators. Every frontline associate can tell you the profitability of every order that leaves a plant. Uh, Their compensation is tied tightly to that profitability. You have frontline employees who are meeting 
their customers at Toyota or GM or other steel users to better understand their needs. Not, not people in marketing or sales or R&D, but frontline customers who are translating those, those needs back into innovation in, in the manufacturing process. Uh, these are uh, uh, teams that are responsible for constant experimentation. There are tens of thousands of experiments that get run every year with, with no senior leadership uh, 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 intervention at all, where frontline teams are improving their processes. So you have a company that's for sure the most innovative steel company uh, in the world. And, and, you know, these are, you know, this is what we would call blue collar work. And yet, you know, every, every place where I've seen this kind of humanocracy applied, in, in plants at GE, uh, at Nucor, at Hire, uh, you see companies with a 30 to 50% productivity advantage that is based entirely on the fact that they are using the brains and the creativity of their employees in ways their competitors aren't. You know, and, and again, this should hardly be surprising to us. You know, uh, uh, there are examples that have been around like this for, for, for 50 years. Toyota gets more than 1 million employee suggestions a year. And 85% of those get implemented by the employees themselves. And so over many, many decades, Toyota has, has, has built a, a system uh, where frontline employees have the education, they have the power, the ability to think, to improve the business, to implement their ideas with very little um, you know, in the way of, of, um, of process or bureaucracy. And so the pace of improvement is just faster than their competitors. I remember you know, sitting in a meeting now probably 30 years ago with W. Edwards Deming, who was one of the great quality pioneers and had worked uh, for years in Japan. And I sat in a meeting where he was talking to the leadership of Toyota and somebody, uh, sorry, the, the leadership of Ford rather, and some senior executive Ford asked him, he said, when do you think we're going to catch Toyota? And Deming said, literally, this is a direct quote. He said, are you kidding? Do you think they're standing still? <laughs> uh, and so, so uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's not by accident that Ford has now said we're no longer going to make passenger cars in the United States. Uh, we're going to make SUVs and pickup trucks that are actually technically simpler to make and have higher margins and face less international competition. Um, so we'll see how that how that plays out. You know, maybe maybe in the end we're all going to be driving crossovers and SUVs and so on. But but I think um, you know the reason that it took the Western car industry 30 years to start to 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 match uh, the Japanese on quality, uh, not still yet on the rate of performance improvement, but just on quality, was that doing so required a shift in power from supervisors to frontline employees. And, um, and people in general with power are reluctant to give it away. And so, you know, it took 30 years of making excuses and, you know, and, and telling ourselves this is just about, you know, changing some processes before Ford and GM and Volkswagen and others could say, no, no, this is a completely different set of beliefs about what ordinary human beings can do. And we have to give up our power and our prejudice for this ever to take root. 
And now I think when we're focused not merely on you know increasing the rate of operational uh, improvement, but now when you have to build organizations that can change as fast as change itself, uh, where everyone every day is innovating and looking for new opportunities and where entrepreneurship is infused across the whole organization, we need to take some of those lessons we learned about redistributing power. And now we have to do it, you know, cubed. Uh, and, and again, there'll be many of the same challenges I think we'll face is that, um, you know, it's, it's hard uh, to, to, to give up authority. Uh, and I think um, our leaders are going to have to do that. And we are going to have to fundamentally redefine leadership in our organization. Uh, you know, it's, it's astounding to me that leadership development in most organizations is still peer. And there's the idea that somehow, you know, that, that, that you can't be a leader. I mean, of course, every HR person will tell you, well, you can be a leader anywhere. Is that really true? Do they really believe that? Did the people can the front can people on the front lines, you know, uh, are there courses for them to develop their financial expertise, to develop their 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 marketing sophistication, to uh, to does it teach them how to lead other people? If you're a a, a frontline, even an hourly employee, I don't think so. So that prejudice that you know it's it's only senior people or leaders runs very very deep. And so, you know, um, and that's going to have to change. I think, um, uh, you know, we have to redefine leadership as, uh, as a, a set of capabilities, see, or a set of capabilities that includes seeing over the horizon, uh, building a coalition of, of people around you, um, 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 having the courage to take a, a, a small risk, uh, being, being persistent, uh, learning how to, to put together and, and sell a business case. We need to teach people those leadership uh, capabilities completely independent of where they sit in, in, in the hierarchy. Uh, because if we're not, we're leaving an enormous amount of human capability un, undeveloped. And so I, I am sure, as it's already happened in the social web, I am sure that over the next decade, uh, the idea of leadership will become increasingly divorced from any sense of uh, formal hierarchy. Uh, and that, you know, again, there's some progressive companies that are already looking at this. They're using, you know, a social network analysis and other tools to understand where the real leaders are and who's really adding value uh, and who's, who's behaving like a leader, irrespective of their position and who's not. So, again, data is going to help us start to sort this out. And, uh, and uh, you know, and then, and then influence and authority uh, and respect and money will start to flow to the natural leaders in the organization, as opposed to the people who've just been very good at, 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 at getting themselves into so-called leadership positions. Well, it sounds like we have a long way to go. But uh, I'm yeah, excited we have a long to hear. But, but, you know, I think it's all going to happen within a generation. You know, it's. It's, you know, again, history is very valuable as you think about some of these things. Um, you know, there's, you reach a tipping point where social change happens, you know, which, where, the, where the forces have been accumulating gradually, and then all of a sudden there's an avalanche. And I said, mm -hmm. this happened with democracy, it happened with the end of slavery, it happened 
with uh, is, is happening uh, with, 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 with patriarchy and the Me Too movement and, you know, kind of a, a great awakening uh, around that is something that's been there for decades, but I think has now reached a tipping point. And I think, I think we're on that, 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 that uh, frontier here as well. You know, it's, it's worth remembering that in 1890, um, the average manufacturing company in the United States had uh, four employees. And um, that it would, have, it would have been unimaginable, I think, literally unimaginable to anybody in 1890, that 25 years later, by 1915, Ford would be making half a million cars a year. And the great innovation there was not the car. That was, you know, that was that invention happened in Germany. And Ford's invention was, uh, in many senses, modern bureaucracy, coupling, uh, you know, the principles of bureaucracy with large-scale uh, manufacturing, with a movable assembly line, and literally in one generation, almost all of modern management was invented. Um, financial reporting, uh, paper performance, uh, divisionalization, um, um, uh, capital budgeting, all of these things that we take for granted now were all inventions and they happen very, very short order. And I think we're at the same point now. And I think there are three things that will propel this forward. Uh, one is, as you mentioned, and rightly, is social technology. Uh, and, um, you know, we no longer need uh, layers of coordinators and aggregators, uh, period. Uh, the second thing, of course, that's changing is expectation. You have a group of individuals who are coming to work uh, who represent the first generation in history whose primary social uh, construct or reference point is not a pyramid. Or if it is a pyramid, it's one that's built from the bottom up by users, not top down by, you know, executives. And then thirdly, and this is where I think CEOs already understand this, they're just struggling to know exactly what to do. But thirdly, uh, you have organizations who are now confronting a set of challenges that lie outside the performance envelope of management as usual. And so every CEO will tell you. We are not innovative enough, not by a long shot. Everyone will tell you, change is way too slow and we're constantly behind the curve. Everyone will tell you, we are doing a pretty crappy job at energizing people and inspiring them to give the best of themselves. And they're not yet sure how to fix it. That's part of what we'll talk about in our new book based on some of our own thinking and some of the tools we've built and some of what we've seen in uh, some very progressive organizations. But I have no doubt the change is going to happen. And you know, if you think about it, here's maybe a good way to sum up, is that I think for last 25 years now, uh, for sure, since the early 1990s, companies have been working hard to optimize their operating model. This is the first wave of technology. And it started with a book by Champy and uh, Michael Hammer, uh, Jim Champy and Michael Hammer, uh, Reengineering the Corporation. So every business understood that to drive efficiency, you had to use technology to simplify your supply chain, to uh, you know knit together the whole uh, fulfillment process, 
uh, and um, uh, uh, iron out all those inefficiencies. And that built the whole industry around re-engineering and has made, you know, has built companies like Salesforce and Oracle and all the rest. Over the last decade, the focus shifted from how do I optimize the operating model to how do I digitize the business model? Again, almost entirely behind the curve, but the incumbents were saying, deepers, there's this new technology this, that allows us to vastly change the way we interact with customers and will empower them and is irreversible. And the fact that uh, it, it shifted power away from producers to consumers was a, was a bitter pill to swallow in industries like, like, like publishing and banking, uh, where uh, many, many companies had built the, the, the single greatest contributor to their profit margin was customer ignorance and inertia. And suddenly customers could compare, they could switch, and that you know, opened the door for all kinds of new entrants, um, you know, from Netflix to N26, the fastest growing digital bank in, in Europe, uh, and the incumbents have been on the back foot. And what they've been facing is actually not a problem of digital technology, because the digital technology is not, digital technology is by and large not very complicated. You know, Air, 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 the last time I checked, Airbnb had less than 40 patents, which IBM gets in a week. Uh, this is not, you know, nobody's winning the Nobel Prize here. Uh, digital technology is just, you know, is the, 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 the problem for incumbents has been the fact that they were uh, too in love with, 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 with the power they had over consumers and uh, couldn't face up to the fact that they had to shift their mindset to how do we empower rather than how do we control. Uh, and that was, the, that was the, the, the limiting factor, not that the technology was complicated or hard to understand really at all. But so, you know, they'll catch up or they won't. But I think the next challenge is not how do we optimize the operating model, not how do we digitize the business model, but how do we humanize the management model? And I think that will be the most difficult challenge by far, because if it was difficult to give power away to customers, uh, it's going to be even more difficult to give power away to your colleagues and the people on the front line. Um, well, we just because, we look forward to yeah. uh, hearing your your uh, talk at WorkHuman. Um, can you give us a little preview on that? I just did <laughs> <laughs> a preview on any particular. Well, I, I guess you know. I um, what what I'd really like to talk about is what do you do as an individual to 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 to, to bring this change into focus and 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 to get your organization out in front. Because again, I think I think it's just there's there's a growing gap between how empowered we feel in our personal lives as consumers versus how we empowered we feel at work. And I right. still think even for HR leaders and even for senior HR leaders, I think there's still this sense that what can I really do? Right. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, to change any of these processes is so difficult. And, you know, I mean, you know, I, I hear the big consulting companies say, like, well, as change accelerates, we're going to have to do reorgs even faster. Like, what the hell? Like, how do you do a reorg faster? If a reorg means we get together all the principal players at the, at the top of the company, you know, we spend months defining the new performance uh, parameters building metrics around those, retraining people, rolling that out. 
you tell me how we're going to do, you know, that process faster. I mean, I just, you can't. I think what we have to do instead, much more as I've talked about, we have to empower people across the organization to start this work wherever they are in ways that are not destructive uh, to the organization, that are firmly based on principles that we all can agree to and understand, that are um, um, experimental and prudent, so if it goes wrong, it doesn't blow up anything. But, but if, if you look at how large and complex systems evolve, they do not evolve through top-down engineering. They evolve through bottom-up experimentation. And I think the rate at which any organization uh, is going to be able to change and shift its management model is going to depend on the extent to which it can uh, enroll individuals, leaders at every level in, in the work of, of management innovation. You know, what do you see, you know, if you have an idea on how we could, you know, if you have an idea on a better um, uh, way of, of um, uh, coaching employees, roll it out right where you are, try it. Don't, don't, don't stop the old model. And don't do something that's going to break the law. And whatever you do, use volunteers, but start where you are. Run an experiment. Try it. See what happens. And then try mm -hmm. again. You know, many, many companies like Intuit are already using this, this mindset in how they drive uh, business innovation. So, you know, at Intuit, like you, you, you will never get investment with, by, by, by creating a great PowerPoint deck. You get investment by, by going out doing a, a, you know, identifying customer pain points, coming back, building a little, you know, first, first try uh, mock-up or prototype, going and getting feedback on that, collecting data, and then presenting the data. Here's what we tried. This is why we think this might be interesting. Similar here. You know, you think, you think our company has a better way of compensating, motivating, hiring, whatever. Go try it, for heaven's sake. You know, do it in the simplest, lowest cost, like let's run it. I mean, I, I will, when I come, I'll, I'll give people examples of profound management experiments that took one day to run, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, as long as we think of change as something that starts at the top, involves dozens of people, is, it a, is enormously complex and expensive, we have an excuse like to sit on our hands. But if you say, no, no, no. What did you do in the last 30 days? What new idea did you try? Where did you get your team together to say, okay, what sucks about bureaucracy? What are the new principles we need to build into our DNA of our organization? What, therefore, little hack would we like to try and experiment with? Let's go do it. You know, we, we have to build a, a organization that is filled with HR hackers. And, and, and where that hacking doesn't, doesn't, isn't done just by HR people. HR people can need to manage those hacks as a portfolio, need to understand, you know, hey, are there some principles we're really not, we're missing that we really need to be working on? Or like which hacks seem to be, to be, to be uh, yielding results? And, and how, do we, how do we help them propagate the organization? And how do we train people to be great HR uh, experimenters, prototypers in their little part of the business? But, you know, our goal is to equip, uh, empower, and propagate rather than to, you know, plan, dictate, and control. And um, and so there's that's a, there's a lot of work there to do, but it's a very different sort of work. But this is what will drive the pace at which any organization uh, moves from the bureaucratic path 
to uh, the human-centered future. Well, I think HR Hackers is a great place to uh, come to a close. Um, definitely looking forward to hearing more at Work Human and uh, for our listeners to uh, see you in person. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I, I know the last time I was there, I had such a great time, and I felt like among a lot of very passionate, like-minded souls who, you know, just need some encouragement and a little more how-to and uh, I think can have just like enormous impact in their organization. Well, thanks so much, Gary, for taking time to talk to us on Work Human Radio. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Work Human Radio is brought to you by Globoforce, pioneers of the Work Human Movement. Globoforce helps make work more human for millions of people and organizations worldwide. Learn more by visiting Globoforce.com and join the Work Human Movement by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and the Work Human Community Forum on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening to Work Human Radio.